Welcome to Dangerous Christianity with Dr. Christopher Rodkey, where we explore new ways of being Christian that go against the grain, stands up against the church when it's evil, speaks truth to power, and reclaims the Bible as a radical message of hope, liberation, and justice. Dr. Rodkey is pastor of St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania, and leads the sacred profane community, a post-faith gathering for those seeking to nurture a literate and misfit geeky, sometimes sneaky, as well as a queer-affirming and beer-affirming spirituality. All information mentioned throughout the program is listed in the show notes. And now, please welcome Dr. Christopher Rodney. Reading from the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 29. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany to the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that had never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, The whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these stones were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' time, living under the Roman emperor as a religious minority, such as the Jews, a group would have been afforded religious freedom, so long as they did some public act affirming the emperor as the son of God before their major holidays. Since the Passover was coming up, it was time for the obligatory emperor-worshipping parade. Roman soldiers would parade through the city, probably with a painting or some symbol of the Roman emperor, led by a carriage for the people to come out of their homes and their shops to bow down in in, in homage. A symbol of the Roman Empire was the palm tree. So part of this public spectacle was to wave palm branches as a way of locals indicating their self-surrender to the Roman Empire. 
they would yell, Hosanna, which is a word that is a kind of pleading, as a kind of shouted prayer, a petition to the emperor to show his mercy so that they can practice their local religious holidays. The word Hosanna is also calling for a savior. Or yelled in the streets, it's calling for someone to deliver us. But at bottom, it's a pleading, let us practice our faith. Most people occupied by the Roman Empire were polytheistic. They had many gods. So it was not really a big deal to them to worship another god on top of the other gods they had in exchange to practice their local festivals and holidays. But for the Jewish people, there's only one god. So as occupied people, they complied with the parade because they had to, if they wanted to worship their God. It's not clear from what we know from this time whether the Jewish priests were forced to participate in the parade, acknowledging the divinity of the empire. I, I don't think they were, but, and they were probably pretend, they probably pretended to ignore the whole thing so as not to get caught up in it or acknowledge it. But they knew that their people had to comply with it, or they couldn't celebrate the Passover, which was an extraordinary moment in their yearly cycle of their faith. So imagine this. Jesus rides into Jerusalem while the parade of palms is happening, which the people had to do. They had to participate and show up if they wanted to practice their faith and protect their religious leaders from being jailed for causing a disturbance. The phony praise they were offering was only to appease the authorities, to do what was minimally required because they thought it was blasphemous. It was a form of oppression to be told that they, that they must worship something related to the government or symbolic of the state for the privilege of worshiping the true and living God. And as they were yelling, save us, deliver us, show us your mercy, so the emperor said he was the son of God. It all fell on deaf ears on the Roman soldiers, probably, because they had a job to do. This was something they wanted to do. They didn't want to get things thrown at them in the city while going through town. They were marching with their impressive horses, with their advanced military equipment and weapons. As a display of military dominance, they were claiming ownership of the city as military occupiers mandating this phony show of support that represented the oppressed and occupied people peacefully welcoming their oppressors into the city as liberators. Because that's how empires like to characterize occupations. We're not occupying you, we're liberating you. We still hear this today, don't we? Whether it's China liberating Tibet, Russia liberating parts of Ukraine, America liberating Iraq. We know it's a game of propaganda, and we know it's a game of the domination of empires. So imagine this. At the tail end of the parade comes Jesus, riding a colt that had never been rid ridden before, not an impressive horse, probably wearing clothes that weren't neat or clean, but indicative of someone who had been walking around and sleeping outside for a while, not carrying weapons or tools of defense. If you can imagine that, and it would have been a mockery, at least symbolically, of this phony charade parade that was going on right before it. But is this not the symbolism of so much of the Jesus story? That the social order 
will be reversed. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Or let the emperor have this phony praise that he wants while they call him the Son of God. And yet here comes Jesus, the Son of God, riding on the tail end of this charade parade. In our story, Jesus is at the end of the parade, riding in, in to clean up the mess that they've left for themselves spiritually in the city, representing what's about to happen, what's coming next. He sort of hijacks the end of the parade just by his presence. Whether the people knew who Jesus was or not, the Gospel of Luke sort of leaves that detail out of the story. The whole parade is ironic from start to finish. In other words, the religious people were standing in the streets publicly worshiping or pretending to worship, something they didn't believe in. Emperors enforcing compliant worship among the people he knows do not and will not worship him. And Jesus, the very opposite of the emperor, the very opposite of military strength, Jesus, who is the prince of peace, riding on a young, unruly, untamed colt, a parade to celebrate war and empire domination and occupation is mocked in the end by God, God's self. God stands as the opposite of forced worship and phony gods and the weapons of war. And then after the parade, Jesus leaves the city on a colt, and only his disciples are cheering for him to be heard when they are far enough away from the city, as Luke tells it, and the people tell Jesus to make his disciples stop cheering. And he answers that even the stones would shout because of the irony and the tragedy amongst this triumphant parade. Jesus enters the city and rides through it like a king, but they, the people of Jerusalem, who count Jesus as one of their own, did not stop worshiping the emperor, stop what they were doing. They were just going along with business as usual. They got caught up in the fervor of the parade or caught up in the compliance with the empire so that they could have Passover at the end of the week, which happens to be the day that the priest repents on behalf of the people for their, their sins, their infidelity with the true God throughout the year. The king had arrived Finally, and it appeared to be a big joke. When Jesus leaves the city, he finds a place, finds a place by himself, and he cries over the city that did not accept him. He speaks not to God in that moment, but to the city, saying, if you had only recognized the peace that I brought into the city, we wouldn't now have to go down this path that we're on. Jesus says, not only will the city suffer, not only will your city be torn down, not a single of the stones that would have been screaming would be left untouched by the destruction. Jesus says, but you had God right in front of you. And you didn't know. You couldn't even see God in front of you with your own eyes as you knowingly worshiped this phony God, whether you were doing it for real or not. You went through this whole ritual dance of these palm branches and coats and hosannas so that you could be allowed to worship God in your temple rituals so someone could ask for your forgiveness on your behalf. But when God shows up at the end of the parade, you're already on to the next thing. 
God is doing something unexpected. God shows up when one would least expect it, in this case, in the political ritual of worshiping the emperor in the city's streets of Jerusalem. I like to revisit the details and all the different angles of this story every Palm Sunday because there's so much that it's easy to skip over. For me, Palm Sunday entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem was taught, if I remember what I was taught as a child, that the people were really cheering for Jesus. Jesus was the hero. But it's much more complicated than that. The reality is that the same people who were cheering for him, if they were in fact cheering for him, were cheering for his blood a few days later. The multitude of Jesus' disciples who were clearly cheering for Jesus, they were doing it to the point that it annoyed the people in the city. They all would eventually run off, wouldn't they? They would run off because they were afraid when it came time to stand up for the Prince of Peace. Then, when Jesus is found in solitude, he cries over the city and gets to the heart of the problem in his lament. And the problem is not the Roman Empire. He does not say that the Roman Empire is the problem. He does not say the emperor who claims that he is a god is the problem. The problem is with the spirit of the people, with their reliance on ritual, on order, on purity, on power, on rules, on patriarchy, on wealth and upon compliance, compliance to any authority other than God. The religious leaders had a lot to take for blame here, but they were in a tough spot. While they were being occupied, they had a power that they needed to maintain in the temple. They needed to police and protect that power. But the problem is religion that demands compliance. Because religion that demands compliance is the opposite of the teaching of the Prince of Peace who liberates. One of the things I find so stunning about this story is the opposites that we find in the story. The political king, the spiritual king, the horses and the cult, the weapons of war and the Prince of Peace that is the irony of the story that I mentioned before. But also this, Jesus is outside. Jesus is among the crowds of people in the street during the parade. Now, having been to Jerusalem, I can tell you the streets are pretty narrow in the old city. There was no social distancing in old Jerusalem. And from the streets, his disciples praise him. But then after the parade, the opposite. Jesus is alone by himself. On Palm Sunday, we see two sides, Jesus in public, Jesus in private, alone and by himself. Jesus making a political statement in public and then a deeply heartfelt lament over his people in private. This distinction between public and private is a challenge for us today. What we do in public often says something about what we do or what we really believe in private. From what we know about what Jesus said while lamenting of the city helps us understand what Jesus did in public. 
what we do in public says something about what we do or really believe in private. One might inform the other, and not always in obvious ways. Jesus speaks to the silence of witnesses to the truth in public, saying that in our silence, even the rocks are screaming. Even nature is screaming. Today, our political dysfunction, the existential threat of climate change, the ongoing violence against minorities in our culture, how we talk about each other in public, how we even work through the language of speaking of human biology post-pandemic. Nature is screaming. Our culture is screaming. Our biology, our physiology is screaming, pointing at us, asking us, are we just going along with the motions of Palm Sunday in public? Like the people on the streets of Jerusalem did? Is Palm Sunday the obligatory gate through which, which we must walk every year, the week before Easter, to get to Easter? Is it all phony praise? Is it unethical praise so we can just go ahead and do something else in private? When we yell Hosanna at the procession of palms, are we worshiping a God of power and domination who calls himself the emperor or the son of God whose divinity we all know isn't real? And take seriously then the homeless guy riding the donkey. Because if we're silent, the stones Nature will scream. And in that moment, our failings, our shortcomings, in building and creating with Jesus a world which must be a better place. And then we're left feeling helpless and faithless before the storm we know is coming. We can silence stones screaming at us. We can wait till someone just smashes them. Or we can scream with them. Or we could sing with the stones as well. Unlike ancient Jerusalem, we are not cities for Jesus to weep over. But we are individuals, and we are a community for Jesus to weep over. So on this day of parade and procession and public spectacle, let us invite that king into our homes, into our apartments. Let our hearts prepare him room so as not to be pushed out from this world, but to take the step toward being an agent of God's peace by taking seriously what it means to live a life that is in the likeness of Jesus and a life that is cruciform, that is a life that is shaped like the cross. Thanks for joining me for Dangerous Christianity, which is my sermon podcast from St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania. This is Pastor Chris Rodkey. If you'd like to give a donation to the church, you can uh, find the instructions in the show notes for the podcast, or you can email a tax-deductible donation to St. Paul's United Church of Christ, which is an open and affirming ministry, at 205 West Main Street, Dallastown, Pennsylvania, 17313. 
And feel free to contact me directly if you have prayer requests or concerns or thoughts to share. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Dangerous Christianity. For more information about how to get involved in the movement, how to contact Dr. Christopher Rodkey, or where to find information regarding his preaching itinerary, publications, or how to make a contribution to his ministry, please refer to the listed show notes. Dr. Rodkey, again, would like to thank all of his listeners for continuously supporting and tuning into his work and message. Thank you.